it's really uh, an exciting industry to be in because just about every week there's some new company, some new technology, some new approach that's being um, uh, devised to be part of this overall strategy. Hi, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Series 4 of the Climate Pioneers Show, which is our very first US edition of Building a Better Future, where we're going to be featuring climate innovators on the east coast of the US. And throughout the course of this series, I'm going to be speaking to six inspiring founders and learning all about their businesses, the solutions they're developing to fight the climate crisis. We're going to be digging into what inspired them to take action in the first place and the challenges that they've faced along the way. But most importantly, we're going to be getting their tips and their advice on the best communities to join, the best books to read and podcasts to listen to, and the best productivity hacks to help you manage the founder work-life balance. So let's get stuck in. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Garrett Boudinot, founder and CEO of Vicarb. Since 2022, Vicarb has been building a fully automated carbon management system to perform the removal, storage and verification of CO2 in water. Last month, they received investment from Catapult to help them accelerate the development of their technology. And as a PhD qualified organic geochemist, Garrett is not only running his own business, but is also science advisor for multiple climate and society initiatives. And today has hot footed it across town from speaking on a stage to join us. So, Garrett, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure entirely. So I, I gave a little bit of an intro there to, to Vicarbon and, and what it is you're doing, but in the very briefest terms. So are you happy to elaborate on that and explain for us what, what is the problem that you're solving with Vicarbon? How does your solution address that problem? Absolutely. So uh, we're faced with really humanity's greatest challenge, climate change. And I think there are uh, two ways to to address where we're at today. One, we need to mitigate the problem. We need to stop emitting carbon dioxide and we need to pull carbon dioxide that's already been emitted, the about 1.4 trillion tons from humans out of the atmosphere. But then the impacts of climate change are already manifesting around the planet, planet impacting communities. So we also need to adapt to or have strategies to adapt to those impacts that are already being felt. And so both the, the mitigation and the adaptation side were, as you, as you alluded to, uh, focuses of my work as a climate scientist across uh, measuring climate impacts, uh, policy work on statewide in the U.S., uh, climate responses. Um, and one of the, uh, I, I guess both of these two areas overlapped for me when I started looking at water. I started to see that a lot of the impacts, chemical impacts of climate change, of high CO2 in water was causing carbonic acid and acidification. And this was having real impacts on uh, coastal communities. But then I was also seeing that that high CO2 represented a source of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere from those waters and saw that as a great opportunity to remove the natural flux or, or the, the water-based flux of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere and also mitigate the impacts of climate change. So all of that is to say, I, I think, you know, you, you said it great. We've got this system that can remove, store and measure carbon in water. And it's really because carbon in water is where those opportunities for climate mitigation and adaptation overset or uh, 
overlap intersect best. Amazing. That's very cool. And is there anyone else doing this? Sure. I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> we are in uh, a part of the burgeoning yet nascent carbon dioxide removal industry. So there's certainly, and really just in the past couple years, uh, an emerging market and technological landscape of folks uh, like myself who are looking for ways to remove carbon dioxide from the ocean atmosphere system and have developed different technologies to do so. You might have heard of things like direct air capture, these fans that can scrub CO2 out. You might have heard of folks storing it by injecting it uh, underground. There's plenty of folks thinking about the oceans because the oceans are such a huge uh, carbon reservoir as an opportunity or a place to do some of this carbon removal, folks doing this in soil. So it's it's really uh, an exciting industry to be in because just about every week there's some new company, some new technology, some new approach that's being um, uh, devised to be part of this overall strategy. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. It is a real growing space, and, and it, but it seems you have quite a unique kind of gap in that market, if it makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, our niche is in one part the water, uh, mm -hmm. because I, again, for the reasons I outlined, I think that's the ideal place to do some of this uh, or, or to do carbon removal. But on the other hand, uh, our core technology is really based around uh, an approach that can measure exactly how much carbon dioxide we are removing and storing. And as this nascent market has developed, there was initially, uh, well, I'll say, you know, if, if folks have heard of carbon offsets, like we think of, you know, paying someone to not cut down this tree and folks said, oh, we need something a little bit more technological than that, a little bit more permanent than that. And so the industry moved towards permanence. And then folks said, well, wait, carbon dioxide is an invisible gas, uh, you know, virtually weightless. Like, how do we actually know that this stuff is being removed? And so verification really then became the biggest unmet uh, demand in the carbon removal market. And that is really what our approach in core technology is centered on. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And so take me back to the beginning. Where where did this passion come from? Because you, acad you, you know, you got a long background of acad within academia, yeah. um, within organic geochemistry um, and geology. But but kind of going back before that, have you always been passionate through your upbringing about climate and sustainability? Yes, I mean climate change and environmental uh, issues were really as far back as I can remember as a, a a child. Something that I was very passionate about. I mean, I was. I, I part of the generation I'm young enough that as far back as I can remember any class about the environment uh, in grade school mentioned climate change like it was just something something that I was aware of and I loved uh, like hiking and being outdoors and it was it was kind of always this cognitive dissonance for me of being just personally and spiritually really motivated uh, by the outdoors and the environment but also being very aware that that environment that I loved was being actively degraded. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, when I, by the time I went to university, I, I knew that climate change was what I was going to focus my career on. Amazing. So yeah, part of that generation of people that just grew up with it as a constant background, a constant backdrop to, to everything, right? 
Absolutely. And one of the cool things that I've seen is I like when I started climate change and went into science, or excuse me, when I started university and wanted to focus on climate change, I went into science because we needed data to show folks that climate change was happening. Okay. Right. And over the course of, you know, from my undergraduate through my PhD, like society, at least in the United States, uh, a, uh, a flip was switched where we went from saying, is climate change happening to what can we do about it? Right. And that was actually really cool for me to see because, when, again, like that meant that during my PhD, while I started off saying, I'm going to study the global carbon cycle to show that climate change is real and has negative impacts. By the time I wrapped up my PhD, it was, I'm studying the carbon cycle so that we can understand ways that we can modify, intervene in the carbon cycle to solve the climate crisis. And it's actually now that we, you know, now that I'm, I'm out of school and, and with Bicarb, uh, we actively work with a, a bunch of young people. We have, you know, young people on our team. We actually did a, a lesson with a local high school around our technology just a couple of weeks ago. And it's so cool to now see there is an emerging uh, generation of folks who are actually like, <laughs> They're going to college, seeing climate solutions as their ultimate, you know, career trajectory. And that's really inspiring for me. Yeah, absolutely. No, that really, really is. And, and what about the entrepreneurial side of it then? So the passion has been there as long as you can remember then that that synergy between the, the kind of passion for nature and the awareness of, of the damage that we're doing to it and, and wanting to take action. But but where did that like entrepreneur entrepreneurial bit come in? The bit where you thought you had the audacity to think, right, I'm going to do this thing. I'm, I'm actually going to create a solution and I'm, I'm going to try and solve the problem. Yeah. So I, I like many PhD students, about halfway through my PhD, I had an existential crisis yeah. where I said, <laughs> again, like I've been I've been so focused on the problem. I'm so focused on this, you know, scientific niche of, you know, the specific part of the carbon cycle that I'm I'm studying but we need solutions and we need them now. And so uh, that really uh, lit a fire, that kind of recognition, that crisis uh, lit a fire for me to everywhere I, or anywhere I could find a way to accelerate solutions. I wanted to do that. What that ultimately, you know, the, the first step was that led me to um, run a research program at Cornell, still as an academic scientist, but focused on developing and measuring climate solutions. Um, but it was at that time that this carbon removal market started really kicking in. So rather than climate solutions being something that people were talking about to climate solutions being something people were paying for, right. that was a, that was just a great, um, that changed the ecosystem such that, uh, there was then a lot of private sector investment and, and momentum going into, not just the science that I was doing, but commercializing that. Uh, part of part of that momentum was uh, in my life, New York State, which had a very uh, progressive climate act, one of the most progressive uh, climate acts in the states. Uh, recognizing that carbon dioxide removal was a critical part of their goals for net zero over the next few decades, um, saw that there that carbon dioxide removal technologies needed to commercialize at a fast rate. And so they actually put money into a fellowship. It's called the Activate Fellowship 
there, there are different hubs of Activate around the states, but they they helped stimulate the establishment of an Activate Fellowship in New York City, specifically focused on carbon dioxide removal. And so Activate is a two-year fellowship. They take folks who have largely folks who have PhDs who have never experienced running a startup, entrepreneurship, anything like this, but who are passionate about taking their scientific innovation to the market and provides training, R&D funding, support, mentorship, all the things that you need to make that happen. And so that was that was really the, the biggest catalyst in my transition from scientist to startup founder was having that initial support to be able to uh, take that step into uh, starting Vicar, knowing that I had the necessary support we needed. Amazing. And that's like the perfect blend, right? It's this like inner immediacy building of like, we need to do something about this. The market and the world becoming ready for it and carbon removal and carbon offsets becoming a thing and there being a commercial market for it. And then at the same time, this catalyst, this vehicle that enables you to go from being a scientist to turning this into a business and capitalizing on that commercialization. So yeah, that's the perfect blend, right? Um, and, and how, I mean, did Vicarb exist as a business had you like incorporated that as a business was this something you were acting on and then you took it into activate or did you kind of incubate this within the world of activate what was the order there yeah yeah, yeah. um so when i applied to activate i essentially said there's all these different there's a specific class of carbon dioxide removal that uh leverages the inorganic carbon cycle in in water and i said for all of this specific class whether it's done in soils or in the oceans or, or, or underground um me this measurement problem this verification problem in the market really needs a, a technology solution and that's something that with my technical background i have these skills to be able to solve so it was very much uh uh kind of um, an ambition to solve this problem and kind of demonstrating like, hey, I've done research and gathered the necessary data across a, a number of different conditions to support that. So actually, my first few months in Activate were, uh, it was only made possible because I had the support uh, in the R&D funding to really just uh, head down focus on uh, innovating some of this and started to build the early team of Vicarb uh, uh, developing and prototyping and, and modeling what this solution would be. And once, once we recognized a there there and using that core technology kind of plan of strategy, that's when Vicar was uh, incorporated in August proper. So um, yeah, August of 2020, 2022. Um, and so it was, uh, and, and coming out, like once we incorporated, we built like our, our we filed our provisional patents, built our, our first proper prototype. And it was from there that we really uh, hit the ground running. Amazing. And how long was that Activate program for? It's ongoing. It's a two-year fellowship. Oh, cool. So you're still in it? Yes. Yes. Ah, and how's that, how's that last year been? Talk me through the kind of the process. You mentioned a little bit there about kind of getting the, the, the patents, getting the prototype mm -hmm. up and off the ground. How challenging was that? What were the kind of major roadblocks that you, you faced in that first year? Yeah, I, I mean, so the first year was all about de-risking the technology. And so uh, it was uh, a combination of prototyping, finding uh, you know engineers, 
and, and other scientists to help with that prototyping. Um, and, and that included a hardware component, a software component, doing laboratory analyses on that. I was, uh, for our first year, spending 20 hours a week just coding and processing data alone while trying to do all, you know, while, while doing all the other startup founder uh, responsibilities. Um, planning a roadmap for, or maybe I should actually say testing different potential roadmaps for commercializing that technology. Because again, like this carbon removal market is so nascent and constantly changing that like the, the field looked very different one year ago than, you know, when we finished our first prototype to today. And so the active customer discovery, um, active ecosystem um, networking, because carbon removal, it, it, it's the, the customers are, you know, quote unquote customers can be at the same time, you know, software companies in San Francisco and uh, federal government agencies and nonprofits. I mean, so it's just a, a huge ecosystem and really uh, spending that first year, I call it all customer discovery. I'm just really getting a sense of where does this core technology and my vision for how it has the greatest impact actually manifest in this market as it's emerging? And then how can we use that insight to strategize or uh, to create a strategy for us to commercialize it uh, in that way? And then I'll, I'll say towards the end of that first year, we like had a product that worked. We got our first pilots out, which actually, and that was another big part of the first year is um, my motivation or, 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 and I think for a lot of uh, early stage companies, like getting a pilot is a really important a milestone to show like this isn't a scientific endeavor. This is something that can actually impact the real world. So we got our pilots out and then kind of like put my looked up after having my head down on the risking the tech and said like, oh, we actually really need to do a lot more, not just on customer discovery, but customer acquisition. Right. Uh, and so we, we've been, you know, probably from August 2022 or excuse me, 2023 to now and on, it's much more uh, concrete. It's only made possible by the fact that we had secured enough data and confidence in our core product that we can now have much more concrete customer acquisition yeah. strategies. And I think also, as you said, the way, the fact that this market is moving, evolving, maturing so quickly that actually any plan that you had made in earnest 12 months ago would probably have needed to have pivoted or changed or evolved since then anyway, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it, and I will substantiate that. I'll tell, like, a, a, we, again, we kind of our core innovation was this measurement technology. Everyone in the industry agrees we need better measurement. And so we were like, you know, early on, I was like, okay, great. Like, we we will build it and they will come. Like, it, you know, it, it's, it's going to be very... Uh, straightforward. And then the act to your point, like the act of um, going from, or, or I'll put it this way, the translation between market signaling and market demand mm. was pretty significant. And so that was, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you said there, because it's such a dynamic market, actually, actually commercializing versus building something with an application that market were two very different things. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you guys are based out of New Lab, right, in Brooklyn? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and it did. It was that sort of part. Is that involved with Activate? Is there a collaboration there, or that's two separate things? Uh, we we do have so Activate um, does have a I, maybe I can call it a partnership with New Lab in that uh, New Lab sponsors for uh, Activate New York fellows some reduced costs for the team's space and so that was just really helpful as particularly you know we built the team very rapidly from just me to six of us now uh over the course of just a few months and having reduced costs from uh, new lab was was certainly helpful and being able to make it all happen and then you know all of the other resources around uh are, are in new lab the prototyping facilities the lab space that we have because we're at this intersection of hardware and software and science they had all the resources there which allowed us to focus our time on building our product and not building out an office space from scratch Absolutely. Yeah, it allows you, it takes that admin away, right, and allows you to focus on the really important thing, getting the technology right and getting the go-to-market strategy right. Yeah, that's absolutely. right. Yeah. And so you've done the first pilot then. Um, and I think when I, so I, I saw you at the new lab, right, when during New York okay. Climate Week, and you had the videos playing. Was that of the pilot? Yeah, so we've done a few pilots now. So okay. uh, I think the video that we had playing was from uh, our uh, deployments out in the Hamptons at a shellfish farm. Yes. I mean, if you've got a pilot at the Hamptons, you, that's that's the video that you want to show oh, people. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that was what we showed there. Um, and and again, going back to kind of our our initial motivations, shellfish farms and, and aquaculture facilities uh, around the world are being negatively impacted by that acidification from high CO two. And so, partnering with early on. Uh, shellfish hatchery was really important for us to validate the need, but also in a sense, co-design, making sure that what we were building was relevant for and useful for that customer segment. Um, so that was our, our first deployment. We've deployed at the Navy Yard, which is where New Lab is. It's as the, the so New Lab sits within the Navy Yard, as the name suggests, it's a um, going back to the early 20th century uh, U.S. Naval uh construction uh an engineering site campus and they've really renovated that for uh startup innovation and support they have a ton of waterfront because it's the navy yard so we were able to to do some testing there and then our the the big long-term deployment that we more recently uh established was right in the new york city harbor at what's called the Governor's Island. Sorry, mm. I think it's it's just called Governor's Island. I always say the Governor's okay. Island. <laughs> uh, uh, but so Governor's Island uh, is largely managed by, part of it is uh, managed by the National Park Service. And then most of it is managed by a 501c3 land trust. And they have recently uh, established a at least $400 million initiative to leverage this small, relatively small island in the middle of the New York City Harbor as a test bed uh, and innovation hub for climate solutions. That's so cool. And so as soon as they, they announced that in October of 2022, so like right when Vicarb was established, I heard about it through some partnerships here in New York City. 
and started conversations early on with them, recognizing like, hey, you're surrounded by water and want climate solutions. We use water for climate solutions. Um, and so uh, we were at, Vicar was actually the first pilot in that new climate solutions innovation hub there. So we deployed that uh, this past summer. It's still ongoing. Uh, that, that's a, a long-term deployment, actively removing CO2 in the New York City Harbor. That's so cool. Amazing. Fantastic. And and what does this kind of, so present state at the moment, you're based in New Lab, six people, three pilots, you know, underway and or completed. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. this kind of focus on commercial go to market strategy and obviously continually iterating and enhancing the tech itself. Mm -hmm. But what is this next 12 months? Tw you've got another 12 months or so on the Activate program. What does this next 12 months have in store for you? Yeah, so uh, you you alluded to this earlier. We were able to leverage the real world data that we generated and demonstration of our process working to secure our first carbon removal purchase from Stripe, and, and they're the folks from the Frontier Fund. Like they're very much the uh, the premier or the market shaping purchasers through an advanced market commitment for carbon removal. So that was really exciting for us. We now have you know, a, a paying customer to incentivize uh, our, our scaling up. And so we're actively building our much larger scale system. Uh, and we've actually been getting a, a ton of uh, inbound now, as well as outbound uh, customer acquisition across uh, aquaculture, across um, ports and, and um, marinas and municipalities, all folks who for, uh, either and the carbon benefits and the water quality benefits want to deploy our technology on the, the shoreline that they own and manage. And so we're building our, our next system that will be deployed. Uh, our, our goal is to be deployed uh, in, in the first quarter uh, of 2024. That will remove minimum 10 tons of CO2. We actually think in some of these waters where the CO2 is higher, we can get uh, much more carbon dioxide removal that's really where our head is, uh, you know, our heads are down focused on that right now. I will say on the on the tech side, we're still and I, I think you, you you said this well, like still developing, still de-risking key components, um, kind of getting into the weeds on our tech. But I think it's relevant uh, while we've demonstrated that our system works. Now we're, we're really optimizing the unit economics and. Mm -hmm the carbon removal chemical process that our system uses or, or drives is uh, it, cons it consumes a mineral feedstock. Now, one of the benefits of how we design our system is it's uh, flexible to what kind of feedstock it can use. We can use a lot of different kinds of feedstock. So as we scale, we can access lower cost and locally available feedstock to drive this process. But um, part of our kind of engineering and technical uh, de-risking milestones are certainly and actually expanding the portfolio of feedstocks that we can use. So for example, we've gotten access to or interest from some mining companies and they've said, hey, we've got this type of feedstock. You're not using this now, but if you could use it, we'd be a big customer. And so now we're, we're working on really uh, kind of uh, fine-tuning our system to be more universally applicable across these. Again, all, all four, these are all issues of scale and unit economics, which is a, an exciting 
tasks to be focused on. Absolutely. And so taking sort of waste streams from other industries and using those as feedstock. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's amazing. And and how have you found the wider market this year? I mean, it sounds like there's loads of positivity there for you in terms of how the carbon markets sector is developing. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a kind of market forces, um, regulatory perspective, have mm. things been, is, has there been a fair wind in your favor on that side this year? There has been. So yeah, I'm glad you brought up the regulatory aspect because again, I think that's one of the advantages of our approach is because we've got this measurement component as a key asset, we actually are able to, uh, at least in the places that we've wanted to deploy thus far, been able to much more rapidly get permitting for our our system, which I was just having a, a conversation with folks at New Lab last night, like at least in the US, while there's tons, this is just a, like such a thing in the clean tech world right now, is that while there's tons of um, legislative and federal and state policies and money going towards or incentivizing the scale up of clean tech, whether it's carbon removal or energy uh, development or whatever, the barriers of permitting just because of uh, of how infrastructure deployment, uh, that ecosystem is here in the United States has been very difficult. Uh, Actually, the, the offshore wind industry just took a big hit in the past couple of weeks because of permitting problems that are Permitting problems were part of why uh, a major offshore wind deployment, I think, was ultimately killed. So that's something that I know a lot of the carbon removal world has uh, had a hard time with. We've actually, and this gets to, to your point about the good stuff, we've actually had very few problems with that. And we've got, um, and, and that's just part of, I think, one of the assets of our technology. Um, and then certainly, again, in the United States, everyone's talking about the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that, that put a ton of money into uh, things like carbon removal through a do- number of different mechanisms. Uh, the Department of Energy here just recently announced that they're going to be purchasing their first uh, bout of carbon removal, which is which is really big. So, yeah, all of that on top of the um, the other uh, for example, for us, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration has a number of uh, funding opportunities. There's just like a lot of money going into uh, the the different circles that make up our Venn diagram. Again, whether it's adaptations, mitigation, ocean, climate, uh, and so it's really been uh, exciting. It's also as a as a relatively small team, a lot to manage, <laughs> and so yeah, we've got our hands full. Yeah, I bet. And and how hopeful do you feel for for the future of the climate sector broadly, but for the carbon removal part of that over the next year, because I appreciate with a with an election coming up next year, none of us have a crystal ball. You can't know how that will go. Do you still feel hopeful despite what may happen on the kind of broader political stage? I do. I do. So we've been, uh, I think one thing that's been good for us is we've been more and more recently, you mentioned catapult earlier, expanding our, uh, network, both in terms of investors and customers outside of just the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and and certainly, I, I think the European offsets market is much more uh, fully developed or mature, that's the word, than, than in the U.S. Um, and and so that that's one strategy. I also think because, you know, often in the carbon removal world, we distinguish between 
voluntary markets and compliance markets and say compliance markets are better because there's carrot and not stick, excuse me, stick and not carrot for compliance markets. And we want that, we want that regulatory stick to force people to, uh, or enforce that people uh, reduce their emissions. And, and I agree with that. However, the voluntary market space does mean that we're, if folks, if there are corporates and corporate initiatives that have money allocated for purchasing carbon removal, it's independent of or, or less dependent on who's in office, what the what the specific regulations are. And I think, you know, I, I kind of get that sense across ESG, broad, like just ESG broadly, is that there's enough momentum there in the private sector that seems to be decoupled from uh, public public sector and and democratic risk that we're at least feeling like we're in a pretty good place. Amazing, excellent. And is there anything that that could help you, Justine? If there's anybody out there listening to this today that that could help you in some way, what would be the what would be your one big ask for what could really drive you forward over the next year? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, so our as I said, uh, building is a, is a huge component of what we're doing right now. So we're, a lot of engineering, a lot of building. Love to hear from and meet with folks who can contribute to that because we're in this very interesting se- uh, uh, sector in engineering and building of like part chemical engineering, part sensor development, part like plumbing and maritime <laughs> engineering. Like it's just and so the the scales that we're building at. Uh, uh, not all hardware engineers or electrical engineers have done. So that's always something that we're looking for, uh, looking to talk with more folks um, in, in those areas. Certainly on the investment side, I mean, we're, we're early stage. We're still uh, definitively pre-seed. We mm-hmm. are, as we, as we um, kind of hit our next milestones, planning a proper seed round. And so folks who are excited about uh, the climate opportunity, the water quality and ocean opportunity there. Uh, we, we are always looking to expand uh, our network in that space. And then the final thing I'll say is uh, from a kind of business growth perspective, um, we're very fortunate to have advisors, not just from Activate, but really from a number of different ocean and climate and uh, commercial organizations who are providing a ton of support and resources so that the core team can focus on doing what we need to do on product. But uh, again, as as we've said many times, like this carbon market space, in addition to the ocean tech space, are such niche environments that we will take all all experienced help we can get in those fronts. Amazing. That's great. Um, Well, I, for one, am very excited to see how that plays out over the next year for you. Um, I always round these episodes out with three quick fire questions, if that's okay. Um, so my first one being, and these are kind of tips and advice that we hope will be really beneficial to, to other people listening. So the first one being, what community sort of people-based resource have you found to be the most impactful for your journey so far and that you would recommend to others? So that could be yeah, a, a, an accelerator, a community, a networking event. What, what, what would you recommend? Uh, yeah, so we mentioned Activate, and that's it. So uh, those types of accelerators, Catapult has an accelerator that we're part of. There's another one for Ocean Tech called Sea Ahead or Blue Swell here in the States. So those kind of accelerators, again, where they provide catered support has been absolutely critical for us. Amazing. That's great. Thank you. Um, and the second one being a media-based resource. So books, podcasts, TED Talks, things like that, that, that have been valuable, impactful, insightful, and, and have helped you 
along the way. Uh, yeah, one that I started listening to even before I was a startup founder. Uh, it's by U.S. National Public Radio or, or affiliated there. It's called How I Built This. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a very that's a very good one on my like worst days when things are just like it feels like nothing's going right. And I feel like I'm just like at my wits end. My wife will be like, remember, just about every successful how I built this. They have one of these days. They do. Um, and so that's really helpful to have that context. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You need to go back and listen to that and be like Airbnb almost didn't make it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then the last one being a productivity tip. So have you got either a great time management tip or a tool, a program or a methodology, anything like that, that you use to help you manage your workload or manage the work-life balance? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've actually found, and this is a little uh, maybe uh, counterintuitive, but for me, the best, like, I, I just have a personality where I have to exercise. And I think in the like startup world, it's and just like when we're busy and trying to starting to save the planet, it's so easy to just like focus on work. And I'm more productive when I can go on a run uh, and do things like that. So that's really helpful for me. Perfect. So just downing tools, getting out in the fresh air and yeah, yeah switching off. That's when you have the best ideas though, right? Yes, exactly. That's right. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, that's amazing. Garrett, thank you so much for joining me. I do really, really appreciate it. Um, it's been a real joy to hear more about your business and about what you've got planned for the next year. Well, it's been my pleasure and I appreciate everything you're doing with this. Uh, it's a great resource. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody that's joined us and listened today or on the catch up. Really appreciate your support. We've got five more episodes lined up coming at you every Wednesday for the next six weeks, five weeks. Um, so please do come back and join us next Wednesday at the same time. Until then, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everybody. And goodbye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.